0: This is CNN Breaking News.
1: Welcome to The Lead. I'm Erica Hill. In for Jake Tapper. We are following several breaking stories this hour, including the possible death of Russian warlord Evgeny Prigozhin, who attempted, of course, a mutiny against Vladimir Putin exactly two months ago. Russian state media claims Prigozhin was on the passenger list of a plane that crashed and burned this afternoon. Videos on social media do show a plane falling out of the sky. State media claiming All 10 people on board were killed, but it is important to note, CNN does not currently have confirmation that Purgosian was in fact on that plane. We are also following this other breaking story out of Georgia, where Donald Trump's former attorney, Rudy Giuliani, was just released after being arrested in Fulton County. He stopped to speak with reporters outside of the jail. We'll bring you those comments, but also need to let you know that Sidney Powell, another former Trump attorney, surrendered at that jail just moments before Giuliani. They, of course, are just two of the 19 people charged in this 2020 election case in Georgia. CNN's Nick Valencia is outside the Fulton County Jail, and he was right there as Giuliani got out of the car to make some remarks. Nick, you were able to get in a couple of questions. What did Giuliani tell you?
2: Yeah, Giuliani seemed to be speaking to us directly here at CNN. He was playing the victim, saying that he had been charged for essentially doing his job to help the former president as an attorney. He said that he was being unjustly charged and challenged anybody to find a prosecutor with his record in the last hundred years. We asked him several questions, the first being who paid for his private jet down here because we were told that he had been trying to get people to help him pay for his legal bills. Listen to him and what he told reporters as he exited the jail after being arrested and surrendered.
3: She has uh, violated uh, people's First Amendment right to advocate. Uh, the government, to petition the government for grievances, like an election they believe was poorly conducted or falsely conducted. People have a right to believe that in America.
2: We asked him also why people should believe him now, since in a civil suit, he all but admitted making false comments against election workers here in Georgia. He pushed back to that claim, calling us liars, saying that the media is doing what it does and lying. He then got in his car and took off. Uh, we understand that he stopped by a bail bondsman on his way out of here. We don't understand or know uh, exactly what he is doing the rest of the day. Uh, we assume that he is going back to his New York residence, but some dramatic scenes here outside the Fulton County Jail as it has been a revolving door of activity here as these 19 defendants continue to turn themselves in. Erica?
1: Yeah, it certainly has. And as we mentioned, of course, uh, and I know you've been monitoring Sidney Powell also reporting there earlier today. Um, has Sidney Powell emerged at this point?
2: No, and we're hoping that we get to ask the same questions to them when they come out. Some have made comments to the media. John Eastman stopped by our cameras yesterday to issue a statement and also say that he has no regrets in representing the former president. So defendants are speaking and making comments. Uh, we were told that Giuliani was expected to speak to the press, and that's exactly what he did. So we're now standing by potentially for that, happen, uh, that to happen with Sidney Powell. All right,
1: Nick, appreciate it. We know that you will let us know as soon as that does happen. Of course, we will be having much more of those headlines from Georgia a bit later in the hour. But I do want to turn now to this other major breaking news in our world lead. Russian state media reporting that the notorious warlord, Evgeny Prigozhin, is likely dead. Prigozhin, of course, is the leader of the private Russian mercenary group, Wagner, and once a key ally of Russian leader Vladimir Putin. Prigozhin's army helping Putin to carry out some of his bloodiest crusades in Ukraine, especially in the eastern city of Bakhmut, which earned the title of the human meat grinder. And then Prigozhin, as you may recall not long ago, turned against the Russian Ministry of Defense, claiming it offered insufficient ammunition and resources to his grisly battalion, slamming Putin's generals. And that led to a failed armed mutiny to Moscow in June, exactly two months ago. CNN's Matthew Chance starts us off from London on this. So, Matthew, besides what russian state media is reporting what other verifiable information is there at this hour in terms of that plane crash and who may have been on board
4: well verifiable information is extremely hard to come by i mean state media is the main source of it at the moment because they're being fed information by the various institutions inside russia uh, that are sort of looking at this crash scene investigating it pulling the bodies out but the emergency situations ministry as well and the sort of the official investigators At that scene, are also issuing statements as well, and uh, and they've confirmed the aviation authorities. For instance, have confirmed uh, that there were 10 people on board. They've, within the past few seconds, um, issued a a list of the passengers on board, and Yevgeny Prigozhin's name is on that passenger list. Um, State media is, of course, saying that everybody on board was killed, but that only eight bodies so far have been retrieved, and, and, and none of them yet. Um, according to these official sources, have been identified positively as Yevgeny Prigozhin. And so that's that's one of the reasons why we're still holding back uh, from saying definitely, certainly uh, that that Prigozhin was killed in this crash. I mean, there's one other reason as well. We don't ever really know exactly where Prigozhin is. He popped up um, on what was meant to be a, a video from somewhere in Africa a couple of days ago. And so he would have had to have got back to, to Moscow to take this flight, which was en route to uh, to St. Pe- to Petersburg, which is, of course, possible. But also there was a, a situation I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was in 2019, when there was another plane crash in an African country. I think it was the Democratic Republic of Congo, in which Yevgeny Progojin was meant to be on board as well and meant to have died. But actually, it turned out that that he hadn't. And so... You know, obviously we're we're exercising some caution when when it comes to saying categorically that Prigozhin died in this crash. But all the pointers, I have to say, at the moment are that he was on the passenger list. He may well, he looks like at the moment he was on board and you can see from those pictures, nobody walked away uh, from from that that fireball.
1: Uh, Russia's Air Transport Ministry, I believe, also speaking out. There's also this Wagner-linked social media channel that's just announced that Prigozhin is dead. Would that be a more official confirmation at this point?
4: No, it's, 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 unfortunately, it's not official. I mean, there's lots of pro-Wagner telegram channels out there uh, that are saying that Prigozhin is dead. Um, and uh, they're saying that he was killed by traitors inside Russia. So that's pretty ominous, pretty worrying for the situation uh, that may follow uh, uh, this, this event, if indeed it is. Um, the killing of Yevgeny of, of Prigozhin. But what we've not heard yet is anything from Wagner itself or from Concord, which is the, the sort of umbrella group that, that runs Wagner, that Prigozhin ran. And, and he himself you know, said, look, you should only trust what Concord says. You shouldn't trust all these pro-Wagner Telegram uh, channels. He, he's been saying that for some months now. And so we're sort of taking his advice, I suppose, and waiting for mm-hmm. Concord to actually um, issue a statement.
1: So I'm just getting word to the Russian authorities are now confirming uh, that he you know, that he was on board um, and that he is, in fact, dead as we wait, though, for further confirmation. One of the things that I found really remarkable is just how many of these details came out so quickly. How much video uh, was out there so quickly after this from different angles? Uh, and then this quick announcement that there would be a Russian led investigation. I mean, Matthew, you know, perhaps better than anyone uh, right now at this network what that should tell us. Right, that this sort of media blitz so quickly happened.
4: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't want to go so far as to say that you know Russian media knew this was coming because I, I don't think that's the case, but clearly they have been um, kept across these developments very carefully. You have to remember that Russian media isn't isn't just some some independent journalists going about news gathering. I mean, this is the main conduit by which mm-hmm. the Russian state, the Kremlin, communicates information to uh, the Russian public. And so in, in some ways there are sort of, you know, they, they, they're, they're spokespeople, um, uh, f- a platform, official platform uh, for, for the Kremlin. Um, it's interesting that when this crash took place, which was approximately six o'clock, I think 6.13 is when it, it disappeared mm-hmm. from radar, uh, this, uh, this plane. Um, uh, local times. So that was about 11 o'clock, eleven thirteen, eleven sixteen, 11.16 in the United States in Eastern time. Um, Putin was in the city of Kursk, uh, elsewhere in Russia, uh, talking about loyalty to the motherland. He was commemorating the 80th anniversary since the Second World War Battle of Kursk, which is a very famous big tank battle, talking about how loyalty in that battle and loyalty during what he calls the special military operation, the war in Ukraine, was equally important. And, you know, it, it, it all sort of, you know, kind of points to this idea that Vladimir Putin is off there you know, celebrating loyalty, where uh, meanwhile, the man who led the coup or the attempted coup against uh, Vladimir Putin's Kremlin, two months to the day, um, uh, for before, this, before this crash uh, seems to have been on board and to have met his end.
1: Yeah, two, two interesting uh, anniversaries on that same day. And as we know, Putin does uh, enjoy a chance to to mark an anniversary. Matthew, appreciate it. Stay with us. I also want to bring in CNN chief international correspondent, Clarissa Ward. So, Clarissa, you have covered for years the notorious Wagner group. You uncovered, of course, Wagner training ground in the Central African Republic. Give us a sense of what this would mean to these vast operations of Wagner across the world if, in fact, Yevgeny, Prigo- Yevgeny Prigozhin is dead.
5: Well, this is a seismic moment, Erica. I mean, the question now becomes, who takes this over? This Wagner operation has been taking place not just in the Central African Republic, where it really sort of all started when we were there, um, but also in Mali, in Libya. It has strategic importance. It has commercial importance. And so the question becomes, what is the succession plan? Is there a succession plan? There have been rumblings that the Kremlin has indeed been working on a succession plan, and that. They have set up another kind of rival PMC uh, to carry out this type of work, um, particularly in Africa. But the real problem is that up until the war in Ukraine, Wagner had something that the Kremlin does not. They had. Plausible deniability. They didn't even officially exist on paper. And that meant that they could go along and work with whatever kind of leader and participate in massacres and do all the kinds of things that states can't really do um, with impunity, basically. So if the Kremlin is hoping to continue these operations, um, it will have to think very carefully about how it goes about doing that because it will have lost that veneer that Wagner gave it of plausible deni- deniability a distance from some of the uh, massacres that we know uh,
1: Wagner operatives have been involved in in the past. It, it is interesting, too, when, when you point that out, uh, which is so important to take into account, and then also what we see in terms of the, the warnings that we have heard from leaders, from other folks over the last couple of months uh, since that failed meeting, that march to Moscow that we saw two months ago with Prigozhin, and how Putin feels About traitors, how Putin feels about people who turn on him or who challenge him. Alexei Navalny, of course, a great example, what happened to him when he returned to Russia, which I think makes it all the more fascinating once we saw Prigozhin turn up in Russia not that long ago and to be there. It's remarkable that he would be back there after what we saw, Clarissa. It's,
5: uh, honestly, this is something I've asked myself so many times. How is he wandering around casually, coolly, popping up in St. Petersburg, traveling to Africa, back and forth to Belarus, seemingly without a care in the world? Either this man has extraordinary amounts of chutzpah, which partially I'm being a little facetious, but partially I do think that's part of it and part of Mm -hmm. the image that he cultivated. Or did he possibly have some sense from someone in the security services uh, that he he had been pardoned or forgiven. We know that he did sit down with President Putin in the days after the mutiny. We don't know exactly what was discussed at that meeting, but did he leave it under the illusion that potentially he could live out his life and die of old age? It's hard to believe that he could seriously think that because Prigozhin understands fundamentally that Putin does not accept traitors, that he does not accept betrayal, and by the way, Prigozhin was the same way in terms of espousing that very, very hardline ideology. So this is a question, honestly, Erica, that I think will Mm -hmm. keep people talking on Twitter and online for for many, many years, trying to unravel and really fundamentally get to grips and understand why exactly Prigozhin believed uh, that he might get away with this. And frankly, that was a question that was asked just after the mutiny as well. How on earth did he
1: think he was going to be able to pull this off? Uh, Which is exactly what I was thinking, as, as you were saying, that it's... We can't ignore, too, what else is happening in Russia in this moment, right? I've heard so many people in the last couple of hours talk about the importance of this being the anniversary, this two months today since that failed mutiny, Um, how how much Putin likes an anniversary, and also the state of the war at this point, whether there needed to be something to maybe shore up Putin's image. How much of all of that do you think could have potentially been a factor if, and a big if, obviously there was, uh, this was a planned attack because Purgosian was on that plane and because someone wanted him gone.
5: I mean, if this was indeed an assassination, I think it's really important that it wasn't just Prigozhin, who was killed. There were others on that plane. Dmitry Utkin was on that plane, one of Wagner's uh, top operatives. So if this was a, a targeted assassination, then it's clear that the Kremlin is really trying to just draw a line under this whole thing altogether. Because it's important to note, Erica, that Prigozhin has quite a lot of support in Russia and particularly Mm -hmm. from these hardliners who do not feel uh, that the Ministry of Defense has been executing a good job in Ukraine, who do not feel that they have been harsh enough in their tactics, uh, who accuse them of being corrupt and incompetent and ineffective. And that chorus of voices has grown far more outspoken as Prigozhin has kind of created a space to allow that kind of criticism which frankly would have been inconceivable uh, even a couple of years ago. And so, what will be interesting to see, I think, going forward is do we continue to hear from those uh, hardliners? Do they continue to criticize uh, the Ministry of Defense and, and the war effort in Ukraine in terms of from the Russian side? Or will this fundamentally put a stop? Uh, to those conversations and also what happens to the remaining uh, elements of Wagner, the operatives mm-hmm. who had set up a camp in Belarus, uh, those who had refused uh, the offer of clemency essentially from President Putin and to officially go and join up with the Russian army. Will they now face repercussions now that it appears that their leader Prigozhin is gone?
1: Yeah, all such important questions. closer I Really appreciate you. Uh, being with us today. Thank you. CNN aviation correspondent Pete Muntean also with us. So, Pete, um, as we look at the videos that have been posted of this crash, these moments, uh, as I have heard a number of times, a plane at 28,000 feet does not just fall out of the sky. What do you see in these videos that have been posted?
0: So many people are looking at these videos, Erica. In fact, the former managing director of the NTSB tells me an airplane like this does not come out of the sky like this without some sort of help. Look at the video of this airplane essentially free falling here. And you could see what appears to me to be vaporized fuel trailing behind it. Uh, This is what's really interesting. And, And when you take it a layer further, and if you slow the video down and bring up a still here, this is a little blurry, but this is the airplane. You can see the fuselage here. You can see one wing here. What is missing is the other wing. That is where this gets really eerie. And investigations in the U.S., typically investigators would go through and rule things out. Was this a mid-air collision? Was this uh, something like a structural failure where the airplane broke apart mid-flight? Was this another type of emergency? Or was this airplane shot down? And that is the thing that investigators will really have to look at here if this is, in fact, a transparent investigation. We'll get to that in a second. Let's look at the flight path, because there are some more real interesting clues here. Uh, This is the data from Flight Radar 24. And that data says that this airplane was at 28,000 feet, going 590 miles an hour, on a northwesterly heading, going northwest from Moscow to Dver. And then the tracking suddenly stopped. That says that there is something that really went awry here. The airplane was level. It wasn't climbing or descending. It didn't suddenly fall out of the sky on its own. So when you start piecing things together, That is when things really get interesting. And so now the real question here is, will Russia play with international agencies and manufacturers worldwide who may have a stake in this? This Embraer airplane was built in Brazil. Uh, The avionics likely come out of, of the United States. Usually they would be party to an investigation like this. Will Russia bring them into the fold or will they be shut out? That is going to be something that will be very interesting to follow here. And if they are shut out, it may lead to the worst possible scenario here. That this plane was potentially shot down erica a lot of really big questions right now
1: a lot of really big questions and if in fact they were brought in will they be given or would they be given full access pete oh, yeah. really appreciate it thank you uh, we are going to continue to follow this breaking news out of russia just ahead the former secretary of defense and head of the cia leon panetta will join us with more plus new developments out of georgia just moments ago rudy giuliani leaving the bail bondsman's office uh, after surrendering at the fulton county jail Back now with our world lead. Russian authorities say Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin was, in fact, on board the plane that crashed in Russia earlier today. A Wagner-linked social media account going even further and confirming that Prigozhin had, in fact, been killed. Just last hour, President Biden was asked to weigh in on the crash. Here's what he had to say.
6: I don't know for a fact what happened, but I'm not surprised.
7: Do you think he you believe?
8: There's not much that happens when Russia is not behind. I don't know enough to know the answer.
1: CNN's Alex Markhardt joining us now. So, Alex, President Biden, other U.S. officials have repeatedly warned Prigozhin could be targeted, could be killed by the Kremlin after that failed mutiny just two months ago in Russia.
6: Yeah, Erica, they've been uh, talking about this, uh, essentially saying that it was just a question of when. This is not, uh, this was expected. This was not, this would be expected. This is not a question of if, but when. We've heard uh, President Biden and, and, and others speaking uh, in very blunt, almost joking terms. Uh, President Biden saying that, uh, that Prigozhin should not fire his food taster. The Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, uh, talking about Russia's open windows policy, a reference uh, to Kremlin critics who have mysteriously fallen from, from open windows and died. And then there is the director of the CIA, uh, Bill Burns, who knows Russia and, and Putin very well, a former ambassador uh, to Russia. He said that, uh, that essentially that Putin was biding his time. He was trying to figure out what to do with Prigozhin uh, and with Wagner, and that he said that he would be surprised if Prigozhin didn't face further retribution. Take a listen to a little bit more of what Director Burns had to say.
3: I think... Putin is someone who generally thinks that revenge is a dish best served cold. So he's gonna try to settle the situation to the extent he can. But again, in my experience, Putin is the ultimate apostle of payback.
6: The ultimate apostle of payback. Uh, Burns said that Putin is someone who doesn't like to appear rash. He doesn't like to rush things. And so, as you have noted repeatedly, it has now been exactly two months since Prigozhin uh, launched this failed mutiny. That is enough time for that dust to settle. But, Erica, there is in no way any kind of confirmation from the Biden administration that Prigozhin uh, was killed. I spoke to a spokesperson from the National Security Council uh, just a little bit earlier today, who said that if confirmed, however, no one should be surprised, echoing what the president had to say. Erica.
1: Alex Marker, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Joining me now, former U.S. Defense Secretary, former CIA Director Leon Panetta. Mr. Secretary, good to have you with us. Um, You know, as we just heard there from Alex, uh, for most officials, it was not a question of if, but a question of when, noting uh, that Putin was likely biding his time. Would you agree with that assessment? And do you think that Putin was involved?
3: Yeah, I I think for those of us uh, who dealt with intelligence, uh, this is not very surprising. Uh, There was a a coup attempt uh, two months ago uh, to basically uh, go after Putin. Uh, It was one of the biggest threats he's faced uh, as a leader uh, in the time that he's been a leader of Russia. And then add to that the fact that Putin is KGB. He's a KGB agent who has uh, used vengeance to go after those who have in any way crossed him. So you begin to put all of that evidence together. And as I said, it's not surprising that uh, Purgosian met this end.
1: What has been surprising, Clifford Ward and I were just talking about this before the break, is the fact that we, I, I can remember when Purgosian popped up and everybody was sort of surprised after that mutiny when he popped up again. And the fact that he would be around Russia, seemingly going about his business. We're not seeing him on a regular basis, but still just the fact that he felt comfortable enough. Yes, there's a certain degree of popularity uh, that he enjoys in Russia with the Russian people, but does that surprise you? Uh,
3: I, I think when you look at uh, the approach that uh, Putin uh, has taken in the past, it's basically to allow those that he's targeting to become very comfortable Uh, And I think he did that uh, with Purgosian. He basically uh, made him feel uh, at home that no no kind of retribution uh, would be paid. uh, And as he became more comfortable, he became a better target. And I think that's what's happened.
1: How much of this is allowing somebody to be comfortable, sort of waiting, maybe a little bit of surprise here, do you think could play into it? What about other current events that are happening? For example, what we're seeing with the BRICS nations, this meeting that, of course, Putin couldn't go to in South Africa. All of this happening at once. Do you think any of that, again, if, and there's a big if here, there was some level of involvement from Vladimir Putin, and if this was a targeted assassination, how much could those events do you believe, have played into the decision?
3: Well, I I, I think this is much simpler than all of that. Um, I think this goes back to when the coup happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when somebody made a military coup that threatened to bring Putin down, I think the die was cast. Uh, and that uh, from then on, it was just uh, looking for the right opportunity to be able to get back at him. Uh, Uh, you know, Putin has a schedule. He's obviously uh, trying to be in a place that doesn't necessarily tie him to what happened uh, with this plane crash. But I think in the end, uh, there's no question in my mind that once Precaution did what he did, uh, that uh, he was going to be targeted one way or the other. And that's what's happened.
1: As we heard in that uh, that bite that that Alex shared with us from Director Burns, Putin is the ultimate apostle of payback. He said. I was also struck by the amount of information that was made available seemingly so quickly, these different angles, the video of the crash on state media. We know where that information comes from, right? As Matthew Chance was pointing out, these are not independent journalists out there gathering this quickly to bring it back to Russian state media. Getting that information out so quickly, announcing that there would be an investigation, again, so quickly, is that all just part of the playbook?
3: Oh, well, I don't. I don't think there's any question. It's part of the playbook because uh, what uh, what that message basically was is that uh, Russia was announcing that this plane had crashed and that Prigozhin was on it. Uh, what that sends is a very clear message that uh, if you try to threaten Putin in any way, as Prigozhin did, you're going to pay a price. Uh, that message is loud and clear, uh, and the Russians. Have made uh, have made it known that uh, you cross Putin, and you're not going to be around very long.
1: Really quickly, we're out of time, but just a yes or no. If I could, do you believe we'll ever know fully what happened?
3: Uh, I don't. I don't expect that there's going to be uh, a kind of full investigation as to what happened with this plane. Uh, I'd be very surprised if uh, if they found some uh, innocent cause of this plane crash. I, I don't think mm-hmm. there's any question. One way or another, it was blown up.
1: Secretary Panetta, always appreciate your insight and your time. Thank you.
3: Good to be with you.
1: So while we don't know exactly what happened to that plane carrying Prigozhin at this hour, what we do know is that Russia has shot down passenger planes in the past. We're going to take a closer look at those incidents just ahead. Also keeping a close eye on all of the developments out of Fulton County, Georgia, where Rudy Giuliani just posted bond and was released from the Fulton County jail. This, as another former Trump lawyer, Sidney Powell, is being processed at that jail. Stay with us for those developments next. Our law and justice lead here following our other major breaking news story in Georgia just moments ago. As you see here, Rudy Giuliani leaving a bail bonds office after, of course, being arrested, processed and released later this afternoon. The Fulton County Sheriff telling CNN Giuliani was treated and processed like everybody else who was booked at that jail. That means fingerprinted, mugshots taken. Sidney Powell also surrendered at the jail today. So that now brings the total to eight, the number of defendants who have so far turned themselves in. Sources telling CNN Trump is expected to leave his New Jersey home tomorrow afternoon to make his way down to Georgia for his arrest there in Fulton County. CNN's Paula Reed is live outside the Fulton County Courthouse. So, Paula, Juliana spoke to reporters after his arrest. Uh, pretty defiant.
9: He is defiant. He was in the sheriff's office for just under an hour, Erica, and as part of the processing, the surrender, he had a mugshot taken, and that should be public within the next 24 hours or so. Pretty remarkable, considering at one time he was one of the top prosecutors in the United States. Now he is a criminal defendant with a mugshot. Now, before he went to surrender at the sheriff's office, his legal team was here at the Fulton County Courthouse meeting with the district attorney and negotiating the terms of his release. He has a $150,000 bond. He has to post a percentage of that in cash. And he's also subject to certain restrictions in order to not be detained. Among those restrictions, he cannot talk about this case with any of his co-defendants. Former President Trump is, of course, one of his co-defendants in this case. We know the former president, uh, Rudy, has pleaded with him to help him with his legal bills. The former president has agreed to uh, help him with some fundraisers, to raise some money towards these bills. And it's unclear how they're going to continue this relationship, continue raising money for him, and not discuss this case at all. Now, the mayor is headed back to New York. A source tells me he wanted to get in and out, do his bond and his surrender all today before the former president comes to Atlanta tomorrow. But, Erica, I want to point out that Rudy is not headed to Hartsfield-Jackson you know, to get on a Delta flight back to Manhattan. He is riding on a private jet, and it is unclear right now how he can afford that, considering just last week his lawyers were in court telling a judge that he does not have enough money to pay his legal bills and did not expect to be able to pay those bills anytime soon. He was asked about that at his his gaggle there, and he declined to answer.
1: Yeah, our colleague Nick Valencia asking that directly, uh, he ignored that question. Paula, you mentioned the fact that the former president is expected to make his way down there to Atlanta to surrender tomorrow. What do we have in terms of details on that timing? Well,
9: Erica, the district attorney's office is adamant that all the defendants here are going to be treated the same. But there's one big difference. Of course, Trump is a former president. He has Secret Service details. So just logistically, this is a little more complicated. But right now we expect that he will come to Atlanta to be to surrender in the evening. So after rush hour traffic, I mean, if you've ever tried to drive in Atlanta, it's kind of a nightmare. So logistically, to make it easier with his motorcade, he is going to surrender to the Fulton County Sheriff tomorrow evening. And as of now, it is expected he will go through that same surrender process, which involves fingerprints and likely a mugshot. Now, he did not have a mugshot taken in his federal cases or his criminal case in Manhattan. But right now in Fulton County, we do expect he will have a mugshot. And so far, all of those mugshots have been released publicly. So a a significant, Mm -hmm. unprecedented event in American history to have a former president with a mugshot. But we expect tomorrow he'll be in and out. This will be a quick trip to Atlanta from Bedminster, New Jersey.
1: Yeah, and as you point out, you do need to time that right. Having lived in Atlanta for five years, I know all about that traffic you referenced. Paula, appreciate it. Uh, also joining me now, CNN anchor Caitlin Collins is here. So Caitlin, so when we when we look at this, any other time there's been an indictment, any time there's been any activity here illegally, this is a boon for the president, former president in terms of fundraising. He really uses it, plays off of it, plays it up on social media. He even posted that he was going to be proudly arrested tomorrow on True Social. Mm-hmm. But privately... What are the concerns?
7: Well, I think they are trying to use it twofold. Essentially one, which is how do they continue to use it as this boon. I mean, that's the, part of the reason why he's not showing up at the debate tonight is because he is so far ahead in the polling. And part of that is a surge that we saw, something you know, Ron DeSantis laments after his first indictment. And so they certainly do try to juice it and essentially get as much out of it. He's likely going to speak after he uh, turns himself in tomorrow before he gets on the plane to come back to New Jersey. And so I think when you see that, they're certainly trying to use it. But the other part of this is he's facing four indictments. The legal fees are really piling up. They understand that this is going to be a potentially extremely protracted case. They don't know what the future of this is going to look like. His attorneys in Georgia, of course, are, are the ones that are going to be there with him tomorrow. So certainly it does weigh on him in that sense. And I think it changes the political calculus, which is you know what he has – What he has said privately and acknowledged privately is that this campaign has a lot to do or mainly almost everything to do with the fact that he is running because of these legal troubles as legal insulation. And so that's a big part of it, too. Like, yes, he enjoys it. Yes. He to the sense of that it. He raises money from it, it boosts his poll numbers, but also he feels that he has to essentially because this is his main sort sense of protection when it comes to these trials.
1: It's also fascinating when you look at this, and I'm thinking not only of the developments out of the Mar-a-Lago case yesterday, but when we look at the inner circle and how many people who have been so close to the former president are now facing charges themselves. We're seeing them surrender in Georgia, looking at Rudy Giuliani.
7: I mean, that's got to weigh a little bit. Well, I mean, and look at all their mugshots. I mean, the ones yes. coming out today, that's what I think is the most stunning as someone who has covered this and was covering this from before the election and then in the aftermath of the election up to January 6th is seeing the mugshots of these people who worked for the Trump campaign, who were inside the Oval Office, and now they're negotiating their own bond agreements and showing up to surrender themselves. People like Kenneth Cheeseborough uh, in this sense. I mean, that is what's remarkable. The other part of this is there are a lot of people who aren't personally wealthy, that aren't named Trump, that don't have a legal defense fund. Right now, we don't know of anyone whose legal fees he's paying when it comes to the Georgia case. And so these are really long cases, the racketeering ones. And so the question, of course, how do they get outside assistance? Do they seek uh, cooperation because they can't afford to pay for something mm-hmm. like this. Is there, I mean, Paula raises a really good question about Rudy's private plane. Yes. The fact that Rudy Giuliani's private plane, the fact that that is such a real issue for him and, and posting bond um, just shows you what the havoc this has reached on the people around him.
1: I want to let you know, too, I was just told in my ear that Jenna Ellis... Just surrendered. I mean, speaking Speaking of legal fees, right? And financial questions. She's
7: the one complaining probably the most about it. I mean, and she was one of the most prolific Mm -hmm. pushers of lies about the 2020 election. She's the one who called Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani this elite strike force. I mean, she is someone who's out there. And now she is complaining that MAGA Inc., you know, this Mm -hmm. entire movement, is not covering her legal bills. And it's a real issue. And I think she'd only raised a few thousand dollars the last time I checked for her legal bills. And so for people like that, it does raise a real question about what the future holds. But also, I mean, these are the allegations about their own actions that they chose to take. Right, I mean, there's there,
1: there's that, right? Which we've heard from a number of our own legal analysts. Yes, they can be, there can be these concerns, but the reality is, if you make certain choices in life, there are likely going to be consequences. Yeah. Sometimes they come with criminal charges. Halen. Hey, Appreciate it. Uh, well, the charges against Giuliani are just part, of course, of his problems. Just ahead, as we were just touching on, he is struggling to find a legal team to help his defense. I'm back now with our breaking news coverage. Just moments ago, former Trump campaign lawyer Jenna Ellis surrendered at the Fulton County Jail, where it's expected she'll be arrested, fingerprinted, have her mugshot taken. Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell also turned themselves in earlier today. Uh, So as we take a look at everything that's happened, we also had a little development when it comes to Mark Meadows, of course, who has filed to have his case moved to federal court. Uh, Yesterday said, hey, I want all of my, I want my arrest to be on hold. Don't issue a warrant because we have a hearing on Monday. Bonnie Willis responding this afternoon, uh, saying that the uh, request was, quote, improper and that he should face the hardship of being booked like any other defendant. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone (laughs) based on what we saw in that initial filing. But, Michael, I'm curious, how do you think the judge is going to respond here?
10: You know, he's called for an evidentiary hearing, so that's a little unusual at this stage to get these people in this early. And that's Monday. Uh, he might very well give him a little grace period until Monday, just to, because he is he is actually holding court to make a decision about it. Uh, at, at the same time, sort of the, the path of least resistance is just to let him go ahead and be processed like everybody else and uh, and and move it on, and then have the hearing on Monday about whether or not the case should be transferred to federal court. I mean, that's the fight. The fight is not over whether or not you get. Turned in or not. Sometimes right. that's going to happen regardless if he stays a defendant in the case. Uh, so this is really more about what happens. as it transfer or does it stay in state court? So
1: then what is it? I mean, ultimately, what beyond delaying the inevitable. What's your, what's your legal reasoning for doing this, counselor? Well, I,
11: I think it's a smart move by the defendants yeah. to try to get over into federal court. And we know Mark Meadows is doing that. We know Jeffrey Clark mm-hmm. is trying. And I'm certain Donald Trump yeah. will do that. Well, everyone's
1: sure. waiting, right? Yeah. That's the big question is when will that happen?
11: Exactly. I mean, you do have to do it within 30 days. So I think we'll see these motions fairly quick. But if they win these motions, mm-hmm. and they have a shot. I don't think they're likely to mm-hmm. win these motions, but they have a reasonable shot. That is a game changer. You go from state to federal court. You have, if you're Donald Trump, a much better jury pool, much more favorable to you based on the 2020 elections data. You have a very conservative federal appeals court, the 11th Circuit, mm-hmm. backing you up. And most importantly, if you can get this into federal court, you are then in position to ask for a dismissal. If you can make a very difficult showing in this case that you are acting within the parameters of your job, prosecutors are going to furiously mm-hmm. refute that but that's the battleground.
1: Uh, Looking at where else we stand, I almost feel like we're rapid fire, since since it's such a busy (laughs) (laughs) afternoon, so get ready. Um, Rudy Giuliani today, there's been so much made of of really the fall from grace of of America's mayor, the fact that he was once one of the top prosecutors in the country, the fact that there are also questions about who is ultimately going to be defending him, David, and how he will pay his legal bills.
8: Uh, I think it's a good question, right?
1: How much does that figure in, do you think, in terms of, of where he will come down this? I mean, he was defiant outside the jail just a few yeah. moments ago with our colleague Nick Valencia, but how long does that last?
8: I think it lasts forever. Like, uh, Michael and I are talking about this. I, I think that today was one of Rudy Giuliani's best performances in the past year or so, right? I mean, he was—he said all the right things. He was cogent, coherent. Um, you know, his hair color was a normal <laughs> color, right, uh, that appears in nature. The
1: important um, things.
8: Yeah, but no, he, he was... And, and he posed some, some serious questions. If lawyers can't push, you know, kind of novel legal theories, right, in defense of their clients, you know, what, what can they do? And it, it's a question I think that's going to need to be answered. Th- these cases all kind of, you know, impact it, it, the intersection of law, public policy, right, and, and campaigning and politics, right? And, and where those intersect is going to be very important here.
1: So, and that we know is the defense that we're going to be hearing from John Neeson and we're hearing it from his attorneys. I just want to play a little bit of what one of them had to say last night.
3: His role was 100% that of a lawyer trying to come up with creative ideas that push the margin of the law uh, in order to reverse the electoral college count. So he's unique. He is on trial for being a lawyer who is coming up with creative ideas.
1: I guess the question is, when do when do creative ideas and legal advice turn criminal?
11: Yeah, th- there's a fair point in, in what Mr. Silverglate's saying there, what John Eastman's saying, mm-hmm. what Rudy Giuliani said. We have to be really careful. We cannot criminalize atrocious lawyering. People lose arguments in court all the yeah, time. I've lost, you probably lost sure. once or twice, Michael. Once or twice. People, <laughs> I was a bond lawyer. You've never <laughs> lost. <laughs> Undefeated. Um, people lose nine, people lose nine nothing in the Supreme Court. Judges throw out motions. Judges say this is frivolous. But that doesn't make it criminal. But what prosecutors are alleging is this was more than just bad lawyering. This was part of a broader conspiracy of fraud and attempt to steal the election. But don't listen to anyone who says it's an easy case. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a really difficult case. W- which they need to prove beyond a reasonable right. doubt yeah. to 11 people.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and just-
8: 12. Yeah, you
11: can have... Yeah, exactly.
8: I just to yeah, exactly,
1: I think we just got in, and this is quick, by the way, Rudy Giuliani's booking photo, oh. I believe we have. There we go. I mean... It took a while. You know, we I were just... told yesterday afternoon we'd be getting them, and it took hours later. So the fact that this was released so quickly... Michael, why would you release that photo so quickly, do you, think?
10: you You know, the policy is to let it go public to the media. I think that this is one of those times when it flies in the face of the state's argument that they're treating everybody the same, because they're not. Uh, they're, they're, they're rolling things out. As, as soon as the printer prints and the film is dry, they're giving, giving the photos out. So is that because
1: there are so many co-defendants here, and they are tired of the media saying, when am I getting the picture? Or is it...
10: I, I think it's probably some of both. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, honestly, I think that it's just sort of a joke to say that this case is being handled like every other case. It's not. I mean, you can look at the courthouse and you can see the barriers around the streets and the jail and you can see the camera crowds and you can find out that Trump's going to be able to come in into a completely emptied jail facility uh, to protect his own safety. The Secret Service is arranging that now. And um, so it's not being handled different. So I think the, the the same is true when we're seeing sort of this process of it. The, the photos, I mean, they're, they're embarrassing for the people that do it. I mean, that's about the end of the day. But, but the truth is probably the big photo to come if, in fact, they go through with their discussions, that, that being Trump is just giving him a cash register. Yeah.
8: yeah, I mean, if that's Donald Trump's picture tomorrow we're looking at, it's going to give him a couple of points in the, in, you know, in the next poll and millions of dollars. And raised.
1: look, and, and the campaign was already fundraising off of fake booking photos let's remember not that long ago so to your point even though the sheriff has said everybody's going to be treated the same and, and, and the how reason, much do you and, weigh the politics and, and, on and that the reason that they do the booking question. photos
8: is because it's a in case the person flees. The they don't
1: know who he is right. rudy giuliani's one of the most famous well i was people just gonna in the, in say the world. we donald talk about trump, donald trump I, but did I'm you need right. rudy giuliani's question a little bit punitive there's a lot there's a lot to get to um and we're just about out of time, but really quickly, we look at the fact that Jenna Ellis surrendered just a short time ago. We were just told. She most recently was talking again about her legal fees. Caitlin and I were just talking about that. How much of a headline is that going to continue to be the cost? for all of these defendants.
10: I, I think that's a huge thing. And I think you, you've got some, what I would call normal folks who are wrapped up in this case and they're going to probably bankrupt out of it. And, and you know, there'll be some lawyers that want to do it for the sake of getting some notoriety. There's some good lawyers in it. Some friends of mine are in it. They filed some good motions like this new motion for speedy trial that mm-hmm. we saw today filed by Chief. Great motion. So uh, we'll see where they go.
1: All right. Appreciate it. Nice to see you all. Thanks okay. for being here. Uh, just ahead, that plane crash today in Russia, Russian authorities confirming that Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin has, in fact, been killed. Again, that is coming from Russian authorities. Now the question is, how? Who may have been behind it? What will the investigation look like with Russia leading it?